This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Of course, as always, you can call in with your Bible question or comment. We even allow you to we'll dispute with me. If you feel like you can prove your position by the Bible, then we welcome your call and your discussion. We know that the Bible is right. Pat Donahue may be wrong. So let's talk about the Bible. Let's challenge each other. Let's find out exactly what the truth is. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We're only a true disciple then if we continue in his word. Just calling ourselves a disciple doesn't make us one. Then he says, If you do that, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. Only the truth will make us free from sin. Jesus defines truth for us when he says in John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So on this program, God's word, the Bible, defines for us what the truth is. Every issue we discuss, the Bible is going to tell us the right answer. Tom from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, good afternoon. Tom, you're on the air. Hello, do you hear me? Oh yeah, I can hear you fine now. You might want to turn your radio down in the background. Okay, okay, I'll do that. Okay. Uh, uh, the question I, I have is, I went to the Church of Christ and some church, the Church of Christ, they have women in there uh, uh, speaking out in the church and not wearing a head covering, you know, when the pastor's up on the, on the, on the stadium, uh, he calls on them. And a lot of times the women will, will talk and a lot of them don't wear head covering. Aren't they going against the scriptures? by not uh, by speaking and not wearing the head covering inside the church? Tom, let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. It says, okay. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted right. unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So yes, when a woman speaks up like that, She's she's violating the scriptures. In First Corinthians eleven, two through sixteen, the Bible says, for example, in verse five, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even while one as if she were shaven. So yes, a woman is supposed to be covered when she prays or prophesies. But she's not supposed to be prophesying. She's not supposed to be teaching in the assembly. We read First Corinthians fourteen, thirty four and thirty five. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. Let me read that. That's another passage that's kind of like 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And so, a woman is not to teach or usurp authority over the man. And that can be done if she's teaching over the man in the assembly as mm-hmm. like if she's doing the sermon she's doing that if she's mm-hmm. uh if she's speaking in the assembly for the whole assembly to hear she's violating mm-hmm. first Corinthians 14 34 and 35 and mm-hmm. as uh, answering your question your second question she's to wear that covering whenever she prays or prophesies wouldn't matter mm-hmm. whether she's in the church assembly or not if she's praying she needs to be wearing that covering yes tom go okay, ahead so, you got any follow-up okay 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what if they're like in a in a classroom environment and there's a man there and a woman's up there teaching in a classroom environment, she shouldn't be up there doing that at all if there's a man there, correct? Right. What I just read in First Timothy two, eleven and twelve, even though it's not the church assembly, it's a classroom, like a Sunday school class environment, it says mm-hmm. let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So she's not to teach over the man. And if she's teaching that class with men in it, then she's teaching over the man. She's taking a leadership role over the man. Uh, so uh, so she can teach ladies. Then. Huh? She'd be in violation then if she. Yeah, she'd be in violation of this passage. So when we have our Sunday school classes, then mm-hmm. she's not to teach a class where she's teaching over men. If she wants to teach the ladies or children that are not men, uh, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But she cannot violate 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 mm-hmm. applies in mm-hmm. the church assembly. 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 would apply anywhere. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question, there's a lot Tom? Of, there's a, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of women that, that I've seen that do or are, are, are actually pastors or are on the pulpit. There's women actually doing I've seen in churches or preaching yep. it. So when they preach even the sermon, TV. they're violating First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five because they're speaking in the church, and they're also mm-hmm. violating First Timothy two eleven and twelve because they're teaching over a man. So they're violating both of those passages. And a lot of churches now, Tom. I, I'm my guess is the stats would say seventy five percent of congregations across the United States would allow women to preach. It, it's baffling to me. When you consider how clear First Corinthians fourteen thirty four and thirty five is, mm-hmm. it says, "Let your women keep mm-hmm. silence in the church." Number mm-hmm. one, number two, it says, "For it's not permitted unto them to speak." And number three, at the end of verse thirty five, it says, "It's a shame for women to speak in the church." Now that's not ambiguous. There may be some things in the Bible that are a little harder to understand than others, like the Book of Revelation mm-hmm. or perhaps the mm-hmm. Book of Daniel. But this is mm-hmm. not hard to understand. It's very clear. Right, it says right, it right. three should, times. Should, yet most churches violate. Should we should we confront them if they do that? Should we go up and confront them and show them that doing wrong? Would it be a good idea to confront them on that? Well, what I would do is I probably mm-hmm. if I visit I have visited services before, which I, at churches mm-hmm. that I'm not in fellowship with, right? That churches mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think are doing the right thing, but I'm visiting there perhaps to try to get a Bible study. A woman is speaking. I don't confront her right then. And try to be mm-hmm. rude about it, but after the services, I try to talk to her and them about that, and try to get a mm-hmm. Bible study with them. Try to lead to further discussions. And uh, mm-hmm. you may know that I do public religious debating, and so I've had a number of mm-hmm. discussions with Pentecostal churches, other type churches, where I'm debating the issue of women preachers, uh, and uh, we've had debates on that. And uh, so we're mm-hmm. confronting them in that way. We're trying to confront them mm-hmm. on this program. We don't try to do it in an mm-hmm. ugly way. We try to do it in a kind and gentle way. Let our speech season mm-hmm. be seasoned with grace, as Colossians four six says. But um, nonetheless, mm-hmm. we want we have our responsibility to warn them. So we have to warn them. Ezekiel three, Acts chapter twenty. So if we don't, their blood will be required at our hand. So we mm-hmm. we try to warn them in different kind of opportunities and try to be kind when we mm-hmm. do it. But uh, just like any other Bible issue, really, women preachers is no different. There's a truth mm-hmm. that's taught in the Bible, Tom, and I think you would agree. And we need to stand for the truth and not compromise it. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, okay. That sounds that sounds good. Uh, what about when women have short hair? They shouldn't. A lot of churches have women their hair short. They shouldn't cut their hair short. It should be long, right? 
Bible says it's a shame for a woman to have short hair? Yes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, mm-hmm. in verse 15. Well, I'll start in verse 14. It says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man mm-hmm. have long hair, it is a shame unto him. So men are not to have long hair. Verse 16, right. but if... Verse verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. So a mm-hmm. woman is to have long hair. You're right about that, Tom. It's right there yeah, in but, black and white in our Bibles, and not too many women today who claim to be Christians are following that, are they? No, no, no. But a lot of women say their hair is their covering, but that's not correct. Mm-hmm. They have to have a veil on their head, right? When they go into church, they have to have their head covering with a veil, some kind of a veil, right? They shouldn't have their showing their hair in the church, right? This is where head covering when they're in in the church. Yes. The way I understand it, verse 15, her hair is given for a covering, is not talking about the same covering as what we read about verse 5. This is a permanent covering that she has all the time. You can't put on right. and take off your hair and it's just in time to pray. But the one in verse 5, every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, that's something like uh, uh, it's a different type of covering, mm-hmm. like a piece of cloth mm-hmm. that you can... Take on and put off in time to pray, and then when you're done praying, you take it off. Tom, we appreciate your call, okay? Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. We're so thankful that... uh, People are willing to listen to the program, and we want you to know that we appreciate each and every call and each and every listener. Uh, If you have the Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our next call, I thought we'd talk about, does God care? Does God care what we believe and what we practice in religion. Does it matter what we believe and what we teach and what we practice in religion, how we live, how we worship, where we go to church? Does any of that matter? A lot of preachers seem to be saying, oh, no, all that matters is if you believe in Jesus. But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that means you're going to make him want to... uh, you're going to make a son of God implies that he's our authority. So you have to follow his teachings also. Suppose when I was a teenager and I was growing up, my dad went off to work. Before he went to work, he said, Pat, while I'm at work, I want you to cut the grass while I'm gone. And when he gets home, I hadn't cut the grass. And uh, <clears throat> and he says, Pat, why didn't you cut the grass? Didn't you hear me? I heard you, Daddy, but I didn't think it really mattered. How do you think that would have gone over with my dad if if I said I didn't cut the grass, even though he had told me to? I said I didn't cut it because I didn't think that it mattered. Well, it wouldn't have gone over very well. I'm sure I would have got a spanking because my dad represented, he, he was my authority. And God is our authority. He's the ultimate authority. So we don't have the right when he tells us something to say that it doesn't matter. Now, if he doesn't tell us something, For example, he might not tell us here in Alabama, you either pull for Alabama or Auburn in football. Does does that matter? Does God care? No. How do we know that? Because he never tells us. If he says, thou shalt pull for Auburn, we'd have to pull for Auburn. He doesn't tell us. That means he doesn't care. It's all just for fun. But the other side of the coin is, if he does tell us something, 
that it does matter to him. And we better do it. We don't have the right to say that it doesn't matter if his word touches on that topic, teaches us, instructs us on that topic. David from Indiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, thank you. Uh, I had a laugh when you were talking about that the Bible teaches and why don't the churches uh, uh, look at that. Well, a lot of those churches wouldn't know a Bible if they tripped over one. But my question <laughs> is, <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's really kind of funny to hear you say that because I, I visit a lot of churches. Anyway, uh, regarding the women who have men's names now, like Madison, Hamilton, Mackenzie, uh, pretty soon, well, I guess we'll hear George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Charles, David, and all that. Uh, please comment on that. I'll listen off the air. Thank you, sir. Okay, David. Well, myself as a parent, I don't think it's a good idea to try to blur the distinction between male and female. I think you you can see that fact in First Timothy two about the women are told First Timothy two nine and ten to dress modestly, and I don't want to do that. Kids, now I want you to look at my name, Pat. It's actually Patrick, and of course we know that's short also for Patricia, the female name. So whenever my family generally calls me Pat, but whenever I'm maybe in a situation where somebody might be hearing that I'm going to try to preach the gospel, I try to. Say my name is Patrick Donahue to make sure that we know that it's a man that's going to be preaching the gospel and not a woman. If you just say Pat Donahue is going to be preaching, somebody might not know, but you say Patrick. So I go by Patrick in the public because I don't want people to think that that women are going to be preaching the gospel publicly like that in violation of 1 Corinthians 14. James from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay, um, this has been preying on my mind, so I'll try to make this quick and, and listen to what you say. Uh, in um, the book of Acts, Paul, you know, after he meets with Jesus on, on the road to Damascus, uh, four days later or something like that, he gets baptized uh, for the remission of sin uh, unto salvation. But if you go to Peter, I think it's First uh, Peter, he talks about uh, you're baptized not for the filth of the flesh, but as uh, as in good conscience. Well, now these seem to contradict each other, and so I want to know why somebody would be baptized for the remission of sin if we are also taught that the day you believe upon Christ, you are saved. Hey, James. You know, one thing that you said is it's a very important concept to to understand when you're doing Bible study. If two verses on the surface seem to contradict one another. Since God wrote the Bible, we know both of them are going to be true. And what a lot of people do is they'll just they'll just say, well, I'm going to take the verse that fits what I believe and ignore all the other verses. But what we really need well, to I do... Well, I can't do that, you know. So. Yeah, that's good. So what we really need to do is, is find out how both verses can be true. And a lot of times when we find out how both verses can be true, even though on the surface they seem to contradict... How both verses can be true, we not only learn the truth, but we learn it in more detail. Now, sure enough, in Acts 22, 16, three, or at least three days, you're right, it could have been four, three days after Saul believed on the road to Damascus, he believed in Acts chapter 9. And we agreed on that, James? The, the Lord appeared Absolutely. to him. He said, I believe. Yeah. But, in, but at least three days later, Ananias tells him, and now, verse 22, 16 of Acts 22, let me say it again, Acts 22, 16, and now why tarriest thou, rise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So he had to be, do what, James, in order to get his sins forgiven, according to that verse? 
Well, he had to show uh, an act of faith. He ha- that's right. He had, had he to had to show an act of faith. He had to be baptized. And so, according to that verse, when he was baptized, his sins were washed away. And, of course, it wasn't anything magical in the water. It's the blood of Christ that washed away his, washed away his sins. Sure, the question is, sure. did the blood of Christ wash away his sins three days earlier when he believed on the road to Damascus? Or does this verse indicate he was still in his sins three days after he believed and he had to be baptized to get his sins washed away? And as, and as you've already answered, he had to be baptized. He was not saved from his sins when he believed, but three days later when he's baptized. Now, let's go to 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 and see if we can make heads or tails out of that, James. And let's see how we can understand it so it doesn't contradict what we just learned. Right, James? Sounds so good. So in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, it says, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now here, James, we have a type and antitype. I'm sure you're aware of this. The type is what we find in the Old Testament, either every time or almost every time. And here in the Old Testament, we have Noah and his family members being saved through water. And then verse 21 is talking about the antitype, namely baptism doth also now save us. I've tried to quote the New King James Version there. So one is a type of the other in that both things we're talking about here both involve water, the waters of the flood and water baptism. Both involve a salvation. Noah and his family, the eight souls, were saved physically from drowning in the water. Baptism saves us, and it's in a spiritual way, uh, not a physical cleansing. And this is really going to answer your question, James. When it says that baptism is not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's actually telling us, James, that baptism, the salvation that we get at baptism, is not a physical cleansing, but it's a spiritual cleansing. Now, I want you to think about what what baptism would be like if you had never heard of it or you had never seen it and all of a sudden you see somebody get dunked in water is baptized you would probably think that the what is designed to do is to wash the dirt off the skin because that's exactly what a bath looks like you see so peter is saying baptism saves you but it doesn't have anything to do with washing that dirt the physical dirt off your skin. In other words, it's by the resurrection of Christ. It's a spiritual cleansing. So baptism saves us spiritually, not physically, not a physical cleansing. That's the point of that, James. And when you understand that that's the point of 1 Peter 3.21, you see how that it not only doesn't contradict James 22.16, it emphatically confirms the same teaching. It's saying baptism saves us not a physical cleansing, but a spiritual cleansing. Do you see how I, how I arrived at that truth, James? Well, I understand what you're saying, and I know the difference. But what what I'm getting to is, you know, I'm, I come from a Southern Baptist background, and we are taught the moment that you're saved, you're saved. You know, baptism is just an outward showing of your faith. But I've never brought to bear the idea for the remission of sin. Uh-huh. Well, let me show you another so that's verse. that's the part... That's the part that's got me perplexed. Yep. Peter, in Acts 2, can you open your Bible or are you driving, James? I'm driving. So in Acts 2, Peter preaches what we normally call the first gospel sermon. 
And in, 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 in like a lot of these sermons in early Acts, he accuses his listeners of, of, of crucifying the Son of God. And he does this in verse 36. He says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both the Lord and Christ. Verse 37 of Acts 2, James, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So they obviously believed that they had crucified the Son of God because they wanted to know what to do to make it right, what to do to be forgiven. Now notice what Peter told them, James, in verse 38. Then it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it is very true, James, what you said, that the Bible teaches you've got to be baptized for the remission of sins. Here we have some believers. They wanted to know what to do to be saved from their sins. And I can't think of a, wor- think of a worse sin than crucifying the Son of God. How can we make that right? He says, repent and be baptized for the remission. And that's the old King James way of saying forgiveness. For the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you can't get the remission of sins without being baptized. We see that from Acts 2.38. We see it from Acts 22.16, which you brought up earlier. We actually see it from 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism saves us, and it's not a physical cleansing, but it's a spiritual cleansing. We also see that, James, from what something Jesus said in Mark 16.16. 16. He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. All Every verse in the Bible that tells us the purpose of baptism tells us that it has to be done to be saved. You follow me, James? Absolutely. Now, James, the I, only... Okay, well, and I'll ahead. make this quick. Now, being taught in Southern Baptist, you're taught that, uh, you know, once saved, always saved. Uh, baptism is just an outward showing uh, of your faith in Christ. Uh, they don't teach for remission. They don't baptize for remission of sin. And they also teach that, you know, well... If you're driving in a car and in that very last moment you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, well, then you're saved. Yeah, and that's why I left the Southern Baptist Church when I studied this out for myself and found out the truth. And so I had to leave the Baptist Church because they're teaching that you're saved without baptism. And Jesus said you got to do both. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. On, you brought up once saved, always saved. The Baptist typically will say that it's impossible to fall from grace. But, of course, there's a number of passages I like to tease a little bit and say I can find a verse, at least one verse on every page of the Bible that teaches against once saved, always saved. Here's the one we can turn to very quickly. Galatians 5, 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. So, so a lot of churches will say it's impossible to fall from grace. Well, Galatians 5, 4 said here's some people trying to be justified by the Old Testament law. They had fallen from grace. So not only is it possible... Here's some people that did it. You see what I'm saying, James? All right. Okay. So once saved, always saved. In 1998, I asked Christ to come into my life, and I was transformed that day. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't baptized in Baptist Church until uh, 2005. I mean, 1995. I mean, uh, yeah, 1995. I'm sorry, it was 1988. I asked Christ mm-hmm. in my life, and I remember that explicitly. The, the transformation. I was changed that day. But like I said, I wasn't baptized until 95 in a Baptist church, but I don't think it was for the remission of sin. The question, and I know you got other people, do I need to be baptized for the remission of sin? Well, you're in a very similar situation to what I was in, James. I believed on the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, but I didn't get baptized 
at that time. So I thought I was saved when I walked down the aisle and, and, quote, accepted Christ, exactly what the Baptist church taught me. But they scheduled my baptism for later because they didn't teach that you're baptized for the remission of sins. Well, I'm, I need, I'm about to go off the air, but think about this, James. I'm going to try to call you after the program and talk to you some more. But this says... In Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. You've never done that, have you? Not that I know. I don't remember being baptized. The Southern Baptists don't baptize that way. That's right. I mean, I so was baptized, never... but not, I don't believe it was for the remission of sin. Right. So if you've never done that, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Because if you've been baptized, but if you haven't been baptized for the remission of sins, you've never done what this requires. You've never gotten the remission of sins. Now, anybody, I offer a free one-hour phone Bible study. Call or text me at 256-682-9753 if you want that free one-hour phone Bible study. The number to call if you want the phone Bible study, it's your convenience, 256-682-9753. Or you can text me.